Hey everybody, welcome back to D&J's Epic Quest. This is Derek and... Hey, this is Justin. How's it going, man? You know, it's going alright. Um, I feel like the week has been slow but fast at the same time. Yeah, we uh, last Sunday we got the the dog that we were fostering a forever home. So the couple... Nice. Yeah, yeah, the couple was really... Was really really into him and was loving loving every second they they had with him so that day they reached out to the rescue made the payment and then the next day we brought him to his forever home that's gotta be a little bit bittersweet you know happy has got a forever home but i'm sure you guys grew attached in the time you had the dog um i didn't everyone else did but yeah so it, i guess you're it was... a heartless bastard Justin. yes i am i'm such a heartless bitch um <laughs> i don't know I, I can't dogs for whatever reason just drive me crazy um i don't know why i just i think they're stupid and i'm sure i'll probably get canceled <laughs> but i just i don't know i don't know i just they smell they piss everywhere they're stupid they beg uh yeah it's my opinion <laughs> hey you're definitely entitled to your own opinion nobody and say that you know one way or the other might disagree yeah no no and that's totally fine like uh i guess you know opinions are like assholes everyone's got one some stink <laughs> right yes and some stink i don't know i think it's just uh, the past some triggeriness with with dogs so sure i uh i mean we watch my parents dogs every now and again for well just one of one of the two most of the time she's 13 and pretty chill and the cats don't mind her but dogs are a lot more work than a cat for sure yeah i think i think that's that's my thing and also like you know i love i love my girlfriend to death uh she has such a big heart for for animals which i love and adore about her but at the end of the day um we have too many animals like there's definitely <laughs> There's definitely a limit in my mind. Um, yeah. Not that that means that I like them any less. It's just, it's a lot of extra work. Yeah, it's definitely true. Definitely true. But how about you, man? How you been? What's been up? How your hockey, how's your hockey stuff going? Uh, we had a game last night. We lost three to one. We were up one, nothing, and then gave up three straight goals. One was kind of a little bit of a lucky goal and then the other two we didn't help our goalie out very much she we gave up we gave up more than two breakaways but they scored on two of them and then uh we just we controlled most of the game we outshot the other team by a lot but just could not score so it was fun but it's frustrating when you feel like you should have won the game right right like you were clearly the stronger team however you just couldn't clinch it type of feeling maybe yeah yeah and so the league that i play in every year the teams are different they there's a board and they draft the teams and try to make them as equal as possible and this is my third year in the league and it's i mean i've heard from other people everybody seems to think the teams are awfully fair Um, so all the games have been fun um and competitive you know, we've, we've won some games. I, I don't know where we are in the standings. I think we're in the top half. There's seven teams. I think we're probably 
second or third place. I'm not sure. I haven't looked, but we've won more than we've lost up till I mean, this point. That's still pretty good. So keep keep doing what you're doing, I guess. The good news is we'll make the playoffs still. So yeah, that is good news. Everybody does. So <laughs> <laughs> you sneaky fucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's so, um, yeah, it's been good. It's, it feels a little weird recording on a Thursday night, though. It Usually, does. Feel I mean, weird. lately we've been recording on Saturdays, which I know we will still do, anyways. But yeah, the um, the side quest episode will be probably published either tomorrow or Saturday. Uh, it's been a little Sweet. bit of a, a busier week, but yeah, it was it was fun to go back and and listen. Uh, definitely, I believe one of our, as far as editing goes, one of our smoother podcasts. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with all three of us kind of knew, knew the material so well that there weren't really any moments of extreme awkward silences or, um, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. I'm looking forward to getting to that point. I think, uh, as I've been re- re-listening to our show, I think I'm up to episode seven or eight now. I don't remember, but um, it's been fun to re-listen to the things. I look forward to it. Awesome. Sweet. Yeah, I probably will eventually at some point in time. Um, but I'm, I think I'm good for now. <laughs> you probably listen to it enough as you edit things and, and everything else. So. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Very true. But uh I guess should we get into chapter one from Dead House Gates here? Yeah, it, 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 I'm still not used to saying Dead House Gates. I still feel like we should be saying Gardens of the Moon. But uh, yeah, before we do that, I just want to give a shout out. Uh, we've got 200 Twitter followers now, which is pretty fucking cool. It's uh, it feels like a milestone, and I think it is. Um, it's cool to to have everybody we're friends with there. Uh, it's a it's a good time. So thank you, everyone. Yes, thank you. That is uh, that is that's awesome to hear. Um, I feel like it's been going up in spurts, and you know, I guess it's nice to know that there's a a little bit of a following for us. And I guess we're just gonna keep trying to you know do our best and and make you guys giggle in the process. Definitely, I had to beg and plead a little bit to get to two hundred, but we did it. So that's all that matters. <laughs> You are <laughs> basically yes. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, um, you wanna you wanna hit us up these these two epigraphs to start off the sub book of Raroku. Will do. So the uh, epigraph for the book: He swam at my feet, powerful arms and broad strokes, sweeping the sand. So I asked this man, "What seas do you swim?" And to this he answered, I have seen shells and the like on this desert floor. So I swim this land's memory, thus honoring its past. Is the journey far, queried I. I cannot say, he replied, for I shall drown long before I am done. Sayings of the fool, Thenny's bull. The epigraph for chapter one. And all came to imprint their passage on the path to scent the dry winds, their cloying claim to ascendancy. Um, So that one for the chapter, after reading the chapter, I definitely 
kind of feel like it fits and uh, makes some sense. I don't know how you feel there, Justin. Yeah, no, it definitely does. I, I think that it's kind of got a little bit of a deeper meaning, um, especially because it sounds like he's not really swimming in water, but maybe he's swimming just in sand that used to, that was like potentially like a dried up lake. He is not necessarily swimming in either sand or water, but more or less trying to convey the memory of what was the sea there. So I think that, um, I think it's just kind of like a, a weird way of saying that even though it was once something doesn't necessarily mean that it's forgotten. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. So what do you say? You uh, ready to start things off here for us tonight? Let's do her. All right. Uh, let her rip tater chip. <laughs> uh, section one here starts off with Mapo Runt and Icarium were standing on a wind-seared cliff. Mapo was watching a plume of dust race across the desert of the Pan Patsun Odon. Mapo takes a bite of, uh, of the emrag cactus, ignoring the venomous spikes as he bites. Icarium flicks a pebble over the edge. As Mapo picks his teeth from the thorns of the emrag cactus he was eating, he shares his observation of Icarim's dye running. Icarium essentially tells Mapo that out here it didn't matter. Mapo tells Icarium that his blind grandmother wouldn't have been fooled by Icarium's disguise. Mapo begins to explain that there were eyes on them in Irliton, Irliton, with a wry smile slowly fading towards Placid, as Icarium states that those who knew them in the Seven Cities, but those who don't, might wonder at them. But that would all that would be all they would be able to do. Icaria moves on to ask Mapo if he saw anything down in the basin. Mapo describes something with a flat head, long neck, black and hairy all over, and then makes a crack at this potentially being Mapo's uncle. Continuing on, Mapo describes that there is one leg in the front and two in the back. Icarium follows along with Mapo's humor and says not one of Mapo's uncles, but potentially an Aptorian. Mapo nods in agreement to this and further explains that the convergence was months away, was months away, and Shadow Throne must have caught wind of what's coming and sent out scouts. Icarium questions about this uh, Aptorian. Mapo explains that it's too far afield and is likely Shaikh's pets now. Mapo rises, finishes his venomous cactus, and then cracks his back. Mapo explains that there is a water hole out there. Icarium interjects that Shaikh's army would be camped around that watering hole. Mapo grunted at the statement, and Icarium noted that the sheer size of his companion and asked Mapo if he could track it. Map Mapo simply says, if you like. Sensing some reluctance, Icarium asks Mapo if the prospect is disturbing. Mapo remarks, any encounter with demons disturbs him and that he's a shy trell. Icarium admits that he's driven by curiosity. Both of them head back to their campsite. Icari Icarium polishes and readies his bow and sword. Mapo takes down the tent and packs their utensils. When he finishes, he sees a waiting Icarium, half-blood Jaghut, and full-blood Trell head into the basin. So, I guess I thought it was really cool that uh, 
you know, Ikarium and, and Mapo, I know that we had some questions about Mapo um, in Gardens of the Moon. It was kind of unexpected to see these guys open up, open up this chapter. Um, I just always imagined them as some, you know, just like distant characters that Rake had encountered in the past, you know. I don't remember Mapo being brought up, but I remember Ikarium being brought up but I, I didn't really remember much of the context around it other than he was really old. Right. Yeah. I mean, from what I understand, it was when they were talking about the wheel, the boar's wheel, um, a basically some type of device that the carrium had left in Jerugistan, but they do. Oh, bring right. It was almost like a calendar or something, something to mark the seasons passing or something like that. Right. Yeah, yeah, and they did. I know that in in one of our episodes from Gardens of the Moon, we were like, "What is a trell?" You know, because it was briefly explained. Um, Mapo being Icarium's companion um, when Rake was kind of talking to Baruch, um, essentially about this device that Icarium left. Vaguely rings a bell, but not much going for me right now. No, on, you're, you're listening on Mapo to the coming podcast, up before, so you'll run into it eventually. Haven't got, yeah, yeah, haven't got there yet. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I think what I'm enjoying so far is, I and kind of one of the things that like I wish Gardens of the Moon had a little bit more was kind of more uh, attention to like character design. So. There was a lot of descriptions uh, for Mapo here, and his eye color is sand-colored. He's got massive canines. He's, you know, pale of skin, but with, like, robust bones. And he's got hair on the back of his hands. So, it's a good thing he's not blind, then. Was this a masturbation joke, Sir Derek? Uh, yes, it was. So basically, maybe maybe we get a circle breaker in there for a circle jerk. Right, right. Mapo no fapo. (laughs) (laughs) We all right. That's the end of the show. Good night, everybody. All right. Good night. See y'all later. (laughs) So, yeah, it just it was it was funny. Um, uh, Icarium. His description is he's wearing a spirit walker robe that is kind of like orange, um, which like fades to like a ruster color. He's got gray skin that apparently darkens to an olive color in the heat and then long black hair that is braided. So, and I know that Mapo kind of makes a comment about Icarium's color fading. So I don't, and makes a crack that you know even his grandmother would be able to see through his disguise so i don't know if he just really has all of color and he just like painted his skin gray or if this is some type of protection from the sun um except yeah i i guess i'm not quite sure how to make that make that out but that's kind of what i'm going with i get that Jim. um speaking of mapo's uncle I know this is meant to be humor, but I feel like in this moment in time, there's so little information, it's hard to form the link between Mapo and this, uh, this Aptorian creature in, the, in like this moment. It's not really until a bit later that this joke pays off, 
not sure if that was like his intention, but uh, which even if it wasn't, it was still pretty clever. But if I'm following correctly, Mapo is a Trell, and Trell have are, are uh, they, like a huge mane with black hair. So like I just kind of like imagine like an like a lion mane, like super muscle, longer arms, and potentially like a species of humanoid animals with human characteristics, so to speak. Huh. Is I guess kind of like how I'm envisioning Mapo. I uh, I guess I didn't really pick that up, but even with the descriptions, I still wasn't. I guess I didn't really form a very good like head canon picture of what he looked like. I mean, that's fair. That that's that's a fair statement. I mean, I think it's just because I was, you know, writing a summary for the section, so I'm literally looking at every word. <laughs> True, and I guess maybe that would have been different if if I was going over that section also, but maybe not. Right? Yeah, I just I think I'm going to make it uh, something that I I tried to do in this in this this book this podcast is try to document whatever type of characteristics that I can so that I have more of a head canon for these, which I think is just going to make the story that much more vibrant. For me, at least. Um, when we get to it later, I was like, when I read my last section, I was like, oh, man, I, w- I hope Justin like draws a picture of this thing. We can talk about that later. Yeah, I think I already know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, but the the Aptorian, um, the way it was described, it had one front leg and then two two legs in the back. So I almost kind of pictured some type of like a biomechanical like tricycle, you know, like those motorized motorcycles that have three wheels. I did not know what the fuck to make of that. It was like, what's only got one front leg? Like, is this just a tripod? Is it just something with a giant dick? Is that the front leg or what? <laughs> like, he runs with his penis. Like, maybe I don't. I don't know. But it, I could not, for the life of me, I'm like, it makes zero sense at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. I don't know. I think, I think it's interesting. I mean, I like, I like uniqueness in, in monsters and beasts, you know, not just, oh, hey, let's yeah, add, sure. let's not- add, you know, two, two extra arms and two extra legs. And, you know, now we've got something original. So, yeah. I- I like seeing something different too. And and this for sure was different. Just caught me off guard a little bit. I mean, that's fair. There's definitely a lot of like new, there's definitely a lot of new information, um, which again, I'm just trusting the process. I'm trusting that all will be kind of revealed in good time. And in this moment in time, all I can really do is just kind of take the information that's there. Um, but we know that if, you know an Aptorian is some type of of demon or scout of Shadow Throne. So it sounds like, based on the very brief conversation here, Mapo and Icarium are talking about uh, some some convergence of some kind. And at first, I thought the Talani Mass, but um, that answer is given to us in in the next section. So. 
But my original thought when that was brought up was uh, the Talan, the Talani mass. But but yeah, Shadow Throne has caught something and has sent out these Aptorian scouts. However, part of their conversation is that it appears that this Aptorian demon, so to speak, is is uh, astray from where it should be, which. It sounds like they're they're speculating that it is the Shaikh's pet at the moment. I don't know who Shaikh is. I don't know if it's a person or if it's a clan or a group of people. Um, you know, could be a city even. I know that they have an army and they've commandeered something from Shadow Throne is kind of all I'm deducing at this point. I get the sense that Shaikh is some type of a leader. Right. I'm leaning more towards person, but I mean, nothing is really yeah, me more too. than army. So I, th- I think so too. I think, yeah, it's a person of some sort. Yeah. I just, I really loved, you know, even though we've never, we've heard of Mapo and Icarium, but we haven't had any of their perspectives until now. So I just I thought I thought it was an interesting duo so far with the very little that has been prevented. It's said that Mapo is shy and Icarium is curious. And I find this interesting. Um, are they just kind of like behind the scene types, you know, wrecking and wriggling and stealth into places? Because you've got shy and you've got curious, which kind of work with together, but kind of at the same time uh, don't work with each other. If someone's shy, they're not necessarily curious. If someone's curious, they're not necessarily shy. But from a stealth standpoint, could work very well together. Yeah, I think, you know, curious, you're, you're probably a little bit more outgoing. Um, just because either you're going to ask questions to somebody or you're going to investigate on your own into something, which right. kind of outweighs that... Uh, introvertedness i guess of a a shy person right did you uh did you get any vibes of the aiel waste coming into this into the section it felt more than that to me um i i just i don't i guess when i think like the aiel waste it almost feels more like kind of bland colors gotcha um you know, because you always hear, you know, when they're described, they've got their shofas and they blend into like everything. But this, I got like, it just f- felt like very like orange to me, which sounds stupid, I think. Like, how it just feels like a, a desert you'd see in a movie. Right. Where, you know, they. They filter it with whatever lens they use, and I mean, like it feels like the cover of the book to me. That's the color, like that's what I'm feeling and, and thinking for this. What they're wandering around in. I get what you're saying. I, I see. I don't know how to adequately put it into words, but I'm trying. No, no, no. I I think that uh, I was able to relate to your description. I mean, I see the cover of the book, like especially those colors. So. Yeah, um, I know that uh, they brought up half-blood Jaghut and full-blooded Trell. So it, uh, I guess, more or less reaffirms 
um, some of the questions that we had, but again, still looking and waiting. We'll wait patiently, so to speak, for you know, kind of the the some of the backstories to these characters, which I know will eventually come. But I'm just super curious. Like, I like these characters already, and this is just the first section. You know, even in their descriptions from Gardens of the Moon from Rake and Baruch. They they never seem to be described as assholes by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so I guess it's it's cool to see a character that was mentioned. Um, you you're actually reading about them, and they're still alive, right? Like I got the sense that they were some ancient people that died out long ago. Is kind of like the tone that was set around them, um, because a lot of rake being you know 20,000 years old he's got a lot of experiences so in that moment in time it really felt like he was just talking about an interaction with people that he hasn't seen in a long time and you kind of just get the feeling that they're not around anymore and then to kind of just be juxtaposed to the first chapter of guard or um, dead house gates see i did it <laughs> of dead house gates and you're immediately you know, in cahoots with these characters. I, I thought that was amazing. Yeah, it was. I, well, if I remember right, when they talked about Icarium in Gardens of the Moon, wasn't it just, didn't they mention that it was like a rumor that he was half Jaghut? Like, it, I thought I remember that they weren't sure on that. I think maybe so. I'm mistaken, but that does sound um, familiar. At the, the same time, it was, it was cool to meet some new characters, especially ones that I guess I didn't expect to meet because, yeah, I figured they were dead. But also to have uh, some familiar characters sprinkled in, and you know, right here we only get Shadow Throne, but right. somebody we're already familiar with to kind of bring the old and the new together in a way. Right, right. Well, I mean, this chapter takes place almost a year after the the events of Jerujistan, if I'm not mistaken. I think it's one or two years. So at the beginning of the chapter, it says it takes place in 1164, year of Burns sleep. Okay, yeah. And when we left off, it was 163. In gardens? Is yeah. that what it was? Yep. Okay. So, it, I mean, and, you know, you got to put it in perspective. Like, yeah, this is the next book. This is technically the first chapter in this book, but recognizing that a year has passed already. So there's a lot of things that will or won't be explained that may have taken place within that year. I mean, it definitely sounds like shadow throne is up to something, you know, and it seems like it is revolving around this convergence, uh, which we can talk about in the, in the next section, but those are all I really had about this section. Sure. But, I, uh, I didn't have anything else to add, I don't think. Cool. Um, I'm ready to move on if you are. Yeah, take her away. All right. The stars lit up the earth in a silver light. Mapo and Icarium rested in some ancient ruins. The walls of the state estate mostly eroded away. The Panpatsan, Odhan, and the Holy Desert Raraku were littered with many long-lost civilizations as they traveled, they had found evidence of a once thriving community now swallowed by a windswept desert. 
though from this holy desert came the legend of Drygena the Apocalyptic. Mapo wondered if the devastation that fell upon the city had added to the myth of death and destruction. Most of the ruins they saw showed evidence of a violent end. Mapo thought to himself, not all past can be laid at our feet, and we are no closer here and now than we've ever been, nor have I any reason to disbelieve my own words. As they entered the courtyard, Icarium went to a six-foot column of pink marble and examined it. Mapo knew from his reaction he found what he wanted, but he asked, and this one? Icarium replied that the seekers are on the trail. They had the Ivers following them and probably more than one set, and it was probably Grillin. There will be others besides, the Ivers and Soul taken both. Those who feel near to ascendancy and those who are not, but still seek the path. Mapo asks if this is wise. In seeking Icarium's eternal goals, that they are headed into a shitstorm, and if the gates are opened, they will be swarmed with bloodthirsty ascendant hopefuls. Icarium says if such a path exists, maybe he will find his answers there too. Mapo thinks to himself that answers are not always what we want them to be. He asks Icarium, once he has his answers, what will he do with them? Icarium says he is his own curse. He has lived centuries, but has no memories. He is not able to judge his life without that knowledge. Mabo says, others may consider it a gift, not a curse. Ikarium says he does not see it that way. He hopes to gain the answers without drawing his weapon, but if he needs to, he will. Mabo says he may soon get to test that wish as there are six desert wolves following them. Ikarium took out his bow and laid out six arrows and said desert wolves never hunt people. Mapo agreed as a cold shiver went down his spine. There were six wolves, but also one, the Ivers. It would have been better if it was a soul taken. Icarium said it was one of some powers to split into six. Did he know who it was? Mapo said he had an idea of who it was. They waited in silence as the wolves crept closer, crept closer and formed a semicircle around them. Mapo says he knows who it is. But it is a shame he can't say the same of them. He is uncertain, but he has taken a blood-spilling form. Rilandrus hunts the desert, but does he hunt us or something else? Icarium asked who would speak first. Mabo said he would speak. Long ways from home, aren't we? Your brother, Treach, said it was in his mind he killed you. Where was that chasm? Dalhan, or was it Lehang? You were divers jackals then, I seem to recall. They heard the reply in their minds. I'm tempted to match wits with you, Natrell, before killing you. Mapo says that it may not be worth it. With the company he's kept lately, he is out of practice, as he, Rulandris, is. The wolf looked to Icarium, who said he has little wit to match and is losing patience. The wolf calls him foolish and says only charm can save them. Does he surrender his life to his companion's wiles? Icarium says no, and he even shares his opinions, shares his opinion of himself. Rulandris appeared confused and said that stakes must be high. Icarium says he grows bored. The world recognized who they were, or the wolf recognized who they were, 
and said they had no quarrel with them after all. Mapo tells Rolandris to hunt elsewhere before Icarium does Tretch a favor. The divers said their trail converges on the spore of a demon shadow. Mapo replies that it is not shadow any longer, but Shaikh's. The holy desert no longer sleeps. Rolandris asks if they are forbidden to hunt. Mapo tells him he can do as he please. They only want to pass through. Rolandra says his jaws will taste the throat of a demon soon enough. Mapo asks if he would make Shaikh an enemy. The wolf replies that the, main, the name means nothing to him. As the wolf walks away, Mapo says that the name soon will be known to him. So quite the, uh, quite the interaction there. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And uh, again, just a flood of questions. You know what I mean? I don't know if you felt the same way, but um, I feel like it's playing on things that were kind of introduced in Gardens of the Moon, but like never really explained. And now we're seeing a little bit more of that come to fruition, like D. Ivers and Soul Taken. Um, you know, from what I understand is that a Soul Taken only takes one form, whereas D. Ivers take basically whatever whatever form they can or want and many of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I kind of thought that too, but I guess I'm not a hundred percent sure, you know? Yeah. Can the diver, can it turn into any creature it wants? And, you know, depending on its strength, you know, it, it sounds like Rolanderus must be pretty strong if it can split himself or herself six ways into six different wolves. Right, right, exactly. But could it turn into could it turn into something else beside a wolf? Like, I mean, could it turn itself into six hundred tiny snakes or something? You know? Well, I think from what I remember from this section is that um, before Rylanrus, I'm not saying that right, am I? Yeah, Rylanrus. 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 Thank, thank you. Um, before I don't know if that's right. That's just how I said it. No, no, that's fair. No, I I mean, it phonetically works. Uh, whether that's right or wrong, I, I guess. If any of you out there who have read this book and maybe done some research on that particular word, uh, please feel free to share. But um, Well, just sorry to interrupt you again. Thinking about it from my Spanish class, I know the double L was like a Y. So do we have re, just Riandres? Maybe. Maybe. I almost kind of like that. I'll just, yeah, Rionderous. Rionderous. You want to go with that? Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. And, unless we're corrected. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were way off about Krupp, so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just got to, like, those episodes where, <laughs> where we were doing that. <laughs> oh, God. And that was fun. Yeah. I'm going to let it die. <laughs> fair, fair. Um. But yeah, I, I guess I just, my big question about Soul Taken and D. Ivers, and, and again, I'm just going to trust and be patient, but one thing that I'm immediately going to is like, how does one become a D. A D. Iver and or a Soul Taken? And it kind of sounds like it's a step below Ascendancy, kind of like uh, if you were looking at it like hierarchically, like as a hierarchy, you know, you've got what I'm what I'm in my mind is you've got 
soul taken divers and then you've got ascendants and then you have gods um so even then you have elder gods too right yeah and are they on the same level as gods or are they above you know i mean i'm assuming elder based on you know the one that we know about karul is that i believe elder is maybe potentially either a forgotten god or a uh a god that has just been around for a long time yeah i agree but this is this is what i mean the convergence is is purely about divers and soul taken and apparently some type of gate so i'm assuming this is a gate that i don't know goes to some type of uh, i don't there's so many possibilities but some type of of bouncer god who is like yes you're accepted no you're not kind of a thing you know um it almost seems or maybe even some type of like calling or test uh for divers and soul taken to become a sentence is yeah i I don't know what's i kind of feel like there's gonna be yeah i don't feel like it must be like what the oh a war is going to happen or a big battle. And I, you know, as whoever survives, do they become ascendants? You know, how many are allowed to become ascendants? I, I don't know, but I kind of feel like that's where it's going is all these people are going to this convergence for a chance to become an ascendant. Right. Yeah. Is the last one standing? Is that who becomes an ascendant or, you know, can there be more than one? I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what makes, sense with the information that we have whether that's true or not i I mean i guess i'm not too sure but uh, i'll be definitely interested to see to see where where this goes and i remember a really kind of cool maybe smaller detail when um icarium finds the six foot pink marble column so to speak and it looks like there was a bunch of tiny, like what I'm assuming as like rat or some type of smaller vermin uh, feet at the bottom of it, which makes me think that, you know, divers and soul taken have already visited this column and are maybe just kind of hiding out. And that's why he said like the, uh, the Holy desert has like come alive again. If that makes any type of sense. Yeah, I guess I didn't even really think of that when he was looking at the pillar. I kind of left that detail out, uh, you know, that he saw markings on it. But Right. But, I mean, also, my thoughts go to, is this a dead house? You know, I mean, they do call it a gate. The book is called Dead House Gates. This is this some type of, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess I really yeah, I'm, not, I'm not sure either. There, there was a lot here. You know, there's, well, we only had four sections in this. What did we have? How however many pages this were? Yeah. Uh, so there were longer sections, but even the second section, we had a lot thrown at us, and I definitely have questions, but I don't necessarily know what questions that I have. Right. Well, I mean, from what I'm gathering is is Mapo and Ikarium have a similar goal to that of the the Ivers on the Soul Taken. Clearly, he wants something, answers, right? He wants answers from 
whatever is beyond this gate. So it seems to be some type of beacon for Divers and Soul Taken, Mapo, Shadow Throne, Icarium, right? So I, I think that there's something going down there. I don't know if Shadow Throne is looking to I mean they caught wind of of this clearly um based on the information that we know. So I'm wondering if maybe this is their attempt at recruiting uh something big and nasty to potentially help them take out you know the Malazan empire. I was kind of feeling the opposite. I kind of felt like they maybe they wouldn't want the competition, you know, of another ascendant. Ooh, yeah, no, that's a good perspective too. I like that. That's, we don't we don't we don't usually differ a whole lot on that type of stuff, but yeah, we are 180 degrees different there. Uh-huh. Which is good, which is good. Um we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah. I just really like the the like the the sense of of scenery in this the beginning of this section, you know, like I can definitely imagine, you know, very like desert, rocky, sandy type landscape with just little pockets of you know, broken buildings and towers. Um, Just ruins of, right. of civilization. Right. You know, to this very harsh environment, you know, uh, community now swallowed by the windswept deserts or desert, you know? So is it holy because of the past? Because, you know, they call out uh, dry, dry Jana. I'm not even sure how to say that the apocalyptic. So, is that something where he initiated or took part in um, the, you know, the holy desert of Raruku? I don't know. We just, we don't have that info. I, w- I wonder what we're going to get in the next chapter. If it's going to be a, just another, because I mean, there's a pretty big info dump on just this one chapter with all this stuff. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to keep getting those. Yeah. I guess I just, I find myself relating more to Icarium um, as far as this gate or whatever it is that they're seeking, because it kind of sounds like he's lost his memories and he doesn't have the ability to judge his actions because he doesn't remember them. So my guess is that he's trying, he's seeking answers, which tells me that beyond this gate, there must be some type of higher power um, that may or could potentially bring back those memories um and he's willing to fight tooth and nail for it so that also gives me the sense of that not everybody who converges so to speak gets in you know yeah i didn't i didn't think everybody was getting in there's it almost feels like a battle royale doesn't it it does feel like that's what it's setting up to absolutely it's just uh (laughs) it's just you and your buddies with like four TVs and it's a eight V eight halo uh, <laughs> party. <laughs> land party. Capture, capture the flag style. Right. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it's just, there's so much good information and while it doesn't make sense, some of it does. If you, you see where I'm going there, yeah. you know, but it's definitely not enough. It's definitely an info dump and it's definitely, you know, I guess true to Erickson's style where he's not, He's not really hand-holding you in this moment, which I'm, I'm loving to enjoy so much more. It's, it's like a gift, you know, just a surprise. I, 
I mean, through through one chapter, this this book is definitely, I would say, a little bit more confusing through one chapter than Gardens was. Just because I'm, I mean, I was told what happened, but I don't really understand the significance of it yet. Right. Exactly. Right. Because we don't, we don't really know yet exactly what it's building to, or maybe we do, and we just don't understand. Well, I mean. If, if it's sorry to interrupt, if it's anything like because I went back and I read reread, you know, the first chapter from Gardens of the Moon and right there it had the answers to what was going to happen. We just, again, didn't know what any of that meant. So I really based on that experience, I definitely think that he's telling us. But because we haven't read the book, we don't really have anything to, as you said, you know, tie it to or make sense of. But I think that the answers are definitely here. It's just we definitely don't have enough information because we haven't continued to read the book. Um, so I got you. I'm sure it's one of those things. You know, upon a reread, it would it would probably make much more sense, and we'd definitely pick out different things. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Which also just goes to show you that, like, once you finish with the series, like, there's still so much more to pick out. Like, I love books like that where, you know, it's like watching your favorite movie over and over again. Like, every time you watch it, you pick something out that you hadn't noticed before. And I I, I love that kind of stuff. For sure. Uh, I, I guess just on the topic of movies, two of my favorite movies would probably be Aliens and then Interstellar. And, yeah, I mean, I've seen Aliens probably like a hundred times easy. Yeah, yeah. And there's, yeah, you still see things differently each time. Right. And I think that's what makes this series uh, so beautiful. But yeah, I, I guess, I don't know. I feel like I should go through and pick apart each little piece of information, but without any context to it, I, I'm still in the dark, which I'm not yeah. complaining about by any means. I think that it's it's still such a wonderful place to be because... That excitement, that anticipation of of like what's next is is still happening, even though we're done with the first book. Yeah, and I'm sure it will continue to happen in probably each of the books, I would think, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, did you now correct me if I'm wrong, but oh no, it was Trake. It was Trake the Tiger. Never mind. I got Treach. I thought Treach was Trake. So never mind that. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I know I kind of in in your next section I kind of had to do a double take, but we can talk about that when we get there. But right. one thing I did kind of like about Icarium is I kind of liked how he's uh, kind of cocky. You know, just like I'm growing bored. You know, and it's just like I got I got the sense he wanted to fight this thing even though he said he didn't want to draw his weapon i think he kind of did or i felt like it like he just it kind of seemed like he was itching for a fight a little bit just to almost liven things up a little bit right and i think that speaks to like his motivation to find answers you know like he's really motivated to be able to find answers or the knowledge of the things that he's done so that he can accurately judge his actions you know um I, I guess, you know, like I mentioned, I'm curious as to what happened. You know, what happened there? 
I know. Yeah, I I do too. And I think Icarium and this just kind of popped into my head at the last couple minutes, but I think uh, Icarus and he flew too close to the sun, right? That was the right. deal. Yep. So did did something similar happen? Is that why Icarium doesn't have uh, you know uh, memories of things in the past? And then I guess I don't have anything for Mapo as far as that goes, but um, you know, just like the names, Shaik, if we're even saying that right, love that name, Oriandrus or Rilandrus, however we're going to pronounce that. It's just another awesome name. I just, I always like the cool names as we're, as I'm reading really any book series, because it's so much more fun than just, you got Jeff and Daryl. <laughs> yep. You know, I, let's get a little creative here. And, and so it just brings so much more to things when you've got these names that just, just sucks you in. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry. I, I went on my own little tangent there. No, no, that's great. I, I thought that was beautifully said. Um, how do you, how do you, uh, I guess I'm sure you wouldn't feel anything terrible by any stretch of the word, but how are you feeling about divers being able to respond mentally, some type of like telekinetic communication? Like, I thought that was super cool. Oh yeah, I did too. I, I mean, yeah, that was something we haven't even brought up yet. But I I liked that a lot. Just uh, it and again, it'll come up again later. But it doesn't seem to matter if you have magical abilities or not. Right. I don't think you well, know, that they're just project. Well, maybe it does, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I remember in this section, um, they could smell, they could smell like the spicy, like it kind of sounds like soul taken and the Ivers have a different smell. Um, from what I'm gathering and divers were giving like a spicy scent. I'm not sure what soul taken would give, but it, it, when they, when, uh, Rylanderus left, they could smell, they could smell the spicy scent of the, of the magic leaving. So, you know, it very well could very well be like a corrupt situation, right? Like we don't think that he is, he might be an ascendant. He may not be, but like, I, I've never pictured him as, as somebody who, you know, he's magical, but doesn't necessarily like, that's it. You know what I mean? So right. I, I have a feeling that like, this is sim similar. I, I don't know what else I could do, but agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Sorry. I'm so, sorry. I just, it was, yeah, well done. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I just, you know, again, there's so much info here that I feel like I feel like I'm just trying to find something to talk about because there is so much information, but again, you know, there's there isn't any context at this point in time. So, it, you know, it's just making really really far left <laughs> speculations as to what's happening, you know, which is fun, you know, it's interesting kind of see where this could go and getting imaginative and creative about, you know, potential situations or throwdowns and characters and motivations and et cetera, et cetera, you know? 
Right. Uh, you know, on that, what, what scene really played out well in my head, um, did you ever see the movie 300? I'm sure you have. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when I think it was towards the beginning, yeah, they're talking about the whatever, basically like ritual they send kids out through to become, you know, adults, Spartans or whatever. And if they don't make it, they die. Um, but you got the kid in in the, I guess, kind of in the, what the hell's the word I'm looking for? Like a valley almost. It, it's tight and the wolf comes creeping out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And the, the mountains. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, he's got the spear and, but like, that's kind of what I pictured to an extent, you know, you've got a carry and a mapo, but they're just kind of standing there. But then I, I just pictured these six wolves coming out, just lurking and creeping out <laughs> and like these red eyes and making the semicircle and snarling. And it just really worked for me. Yeah. It was visually beautiful. I, I can picture everything that's happening. That's all I had to say on it. I just thought it was cool. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I, I feel the same way. I can visualize everything that's happening. So, but yeah, I guess uh, I don't, I feel like I should have more for this section um, and even the previous section, but I feel like that's all I got. <laughs> well, it sounds like we picked a good time to move on to your last section of this chapter. All right. The Wiccan horse soldiers let out fierce war cries as they led their horses down the gangplank. The scene at Hisar's Imperial Harbor was chaotic. A mass of unruly tribesmen and women. From the harbor parapet, Duiker looked down at the scene with skepticism. Beside him stood the high-fist Promqual's representative Malik Rell. Rel was there to welcome the new fist of the Seventh Army on behalf of the High Fist. Duiker thought to himself that it was likely a calculated insult, but then silently amended that thought and began thinking about how quickly Malik Rel rose to position of power among Imperial players on this continent. A thousand rumors were spread by the soldiers about the smooth and soft-spoken priest. Malik Rell's path to High Fist Promqual's side was a tale of mysterious misfortune befalling anyone who stood in his way. The political distress among the Malazan occupiers of seven cities was abs- as obscure as it was potentially deadly. Duikers suspected that the new fist would understand little of the veiled gestures of contempt. Duiker couldn't help but wonder how Coltane of the Crow Clan would survive being the new fist of the Seventh Army. Rel was smiling, but not showing his green-dyed teeth, and asks the historian if caution is bred from distant culling. Duiker thinks to himself and relates the culling to the god Mel's lapping of waves. Thoughts linger to that of Malik, and how much he didn't like him already. Duiker finally responds by saying that the Empress, Empress doesn't notice him very much. Malik Rell breaks the sentence off as Malik starts laughing his ass off. Malik Rell finally gets out the question of Duiker ignoring history or ignoring history as it happens. Potentially a hint of bitterness for some advice ignored. Duiker is told to be calm 
as no crimes were winging back from Unta's towers. Duiker says that he's pleased to hear it, and that he's out here in Hisar for research on the shipping of prisoners to the Ota Taro mines. Duiker and Malik have a conversation about mages being sent there by the old emperor. Duiker is studying whether or not the mages went mad due to the exposed Otel Taro dust, or the lack of access to their warrants. The Wiccan soldiers became belligerent and started scaring dock workers to the point where the Hisar guard had to step in and hold the Wiccans at bay. Two men arrived on the parapet. Duiker welcomed them, while Malik refused to acknowledge their presence. What a dick. Both men were from the 7th, a rough-looking captain and Culp, the last cadre mage of the 7th. Duiker tells Culp that his arrival proved to be timely. Culp scoffs and tells Duiker to fuck off, as he came up here to main, remain in one piece. Culp curses Coltane, as these Wiccan soldiers are his people, and Coltane's inability to stop the riot hasn't bode well for him. The captain agrees and continues to explain that half the Hisar guard saw their first blood facing Coltane, and with Coltane about to take command, he stops to spit and continues to say that it would not be a shame if Coltane and his wicked savages were cut down right here at the harbor docks. As far as the captain is concerned, Coltane is not needed in the 7th. Malik agrees and compares Coltane being here as a viper's nest, and that he was an odd choice. Duiker has watched the tension rising below, says that it's not such an odd choice. The Wiccan and the Hisar guard were lining up, and the battle between them was moments away. When Duiker turned around and noticed all three men were staring at him, begging for an explanation of his last comment. Duiker explains that Coltane united the Wiccan clans in an uprising against the Emperor. The Emperor had difficulty bringing Coltane to heel, but in old-school Emperor style, he had Coltane's loyalty. Colt barked, how? Duiker says that the Emperor rarely explained his successes. Anyway, Lucine held no affection for her predecessor's previous commanders, Coltane was left to rot, but the situation changed. Ajak Lorne was killed in Darugistan. High Fist Dujek and his army went renegade, effectively surrendering the Genabakan campaign. And with the year of the Drajana, prophesied rebellion, and with Ajak Tavor untested. It's at this moment the captain figures out that Coltane has been here, sent here to command the Seventh and squash the rebellion. Duiker chimes in that who better to squash a rebellion than one who has led one. Duiker saw a half dozen swords flash and the Wiccans recoil in response, unsheathing their own swords. Duiker then observed a tall man who appeared to be a fierce warrior waving his own weapon above his head, encouraging the other Wiccan warriors. Swearing, Duiker asks, where the hell is Coltane? The captain laughs his ass off and tells Duiker that the madman was Coltane. Feeling like an idiot, Duiker watches as Coltane calls for calm amongst the Wiccan warriors. Coltane then allowed the Hissar guards to saddle each horse and led them to the stables. Duiker says to the other men on the parapet that that was nicely done. 
The captain blurts off that Coltane is a snake and then quickly shuts up as he realized he spoke out of turn, not really realizing the priest's place is high command. Duiker admits that he looks forward to meeting Coltane. Malik somewhat agrees. Man, I feel like I haven't had a long one in a long time. <laughs> that was a pretty lengthy one. So, from what I've deduced, and granted, these are all new characters to us. Like, we have no idea who these people are. And um, from what I understand is Duiker is an imperial historian. High Fist Promquell is basically the high fist of the seven cities for the Malazan Empire. Kind of like how Dujek was for the, the, the you know, Genabakan campaign. And Malik Rel is uh, high fist Promquell's like, representative uh, there on behalf of him. So, um, but Malik Rel uh, is a, I don't know what Gistal means, but he is a Gistal priest for the elder god of the seas, Mael. Can I just say I do not like the name Malik because it is far too similar to Ralik. Yeah, you were you were you were telling me about that uh, when we were texting. I <laughs> not gonna lie, I had to uh, when his name came up. Really make sure that I read it and not put in Ralik. Uh, right, I'm like, okay, is Ralik just playing like a dumb fucking game here, and he changed one letter in his name? I'm like, oh, it's not him. Maybe. <laughs> but no, no. Ralik is, from what I understand, still in that that finished house. Right. But, I mean, I saw that name and you, you just kind of, like I told you before, like I did like a double take on that name. Yeah, it's just Malik Rel, as confusing as that name may be and how similar it is. Uh, where he got where he got is is super alluring to me. Like it kind of sounds like he became High Fist Promqual's Pormqual Quail. I don't even know uh, his representative. Like one really quickly, and it kind of sounds like based on some of the rumors, is that he uh, misfortune befell to anyone who stood on his way to becoming at High Fist Pormquell's side. Sure, and by misfortune, you mean he murdered them. More than likely, that's what I mean. <laughs> that, that was what I thought. Like, oh, misfortune? Nah, you just kind of cleared your own path, which props, because if you want it, you got to work for it, man. Right. And I just think it, I just think it's funny that, you know, before Coltane is really mentioned, you know, Duiker, Duiker, the imperial imperial historian, is already questioning, um, kind of like the politicalness of this move. He's wondering how the hell is this new fist going to understand the political gestures of contempt, especially in the Seven Cities, which we know from the end of the last book that. The you know seven cities is no longer under Malazan control, which is why Lacine is so okay with using a commander from the emperor's emperor's like reign. Which 
it kind of sounds like in you know traditional emperor style he didn't command fear he commanded loyalty so how much is coltane really going to do what empress lucine orders you know yeah i don't know i get the sense that coltane's kind of a loose cannon i mean he seems like a badass right but it almost seems like he's I, I kind of feel like he's like a young Whiskey Jack. You know, Whiskey Jack, he's he's older now, right? Or I, I get the sense that he's a little bit older. He's wiser. Like, he's been through a lot of shit, right? Right. And so he knows he knows better. But Coltane, like, he obviously is an adept warrior, commander. You know, he can fuck your shit up. But I, I get the feeling he's maybe a little bit younger and, and probably a little bit more reckless and willing to take a chance where whiskey Jack is, is going to probably play it more safe and a little more conservative. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, you know who he reminds me of and it's purely just based on his name, but, uh, Coladin from, from wheel of time. He was a dickhead. Yeah, he was a dickhead. I mean, just it's like I said, <laughs> purely based on the name, you know, Coltane, Coladin. I gotcha. I, I follow. Yeah. Yeah, but outside of that, you know, one of one of the, I think it's interesting that Duiker already hates Malik Rel, just based on like four conversations he's had with him since he's arrived. So I'm interesting to see, you know, what breeds from from that dynamic. Um. But I, I know that in one of their conversations, uh, you know, Malik is asking the historian if caution is bred from distant culling. And I, I mean, the only real sense of culling that we got was from the prologue, right? So I'm not quite so sure. Far, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm just a little confused as to what is he being cautious because of the riots? And because of the culling, he's being cautious. But again, I don't really know how that that fits into the scenario. Is is it just because he's cautious because of the distant culling, but not necessarily related to the situation? If that makes sense, like is that just something that he's you know being cautious about because of the culling? But but also Malik makes the uh, the statement that no crimes have come back from Unta's towers. But I'm also, I feel like those are related because Unta is where, you know, the beginning of the calling with the nobles happened. And I'm unclear if this is insinua- insinuating that Duiker was maybe supposed to be in Unta amongst the other called victims and somehow managed Ooh, to be interesting. the Imperial historian so does that mean he's on the right or wrong side of history? Like, did he just change his... Depends how he writes it, I suppose. Right. You know, so it's... uh, Because we know that, you know, Heberich, right? He was also basically, you know, a priest of of uh, the boar, Fenner. 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 And he wrote the truth, so... I would assume that that would mean that if he's an imperial historian, that he is working to write the wrong history. Or maybe it's just the right one as he sees it. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of sounds like, cause it sounds like, you know, the reason that he's there is to, you know, check out prisoners who have access to Warrens essentially uh, at the Ota Terrell mines and, uh, to kind of study whether it was the dust that made mages mad or go crazy or if it was just the denial of Warrens. So it doesn't even really seem like it's related to anything historical, so to speak, like the events that have caused all of these numerous situations, right? I think that he's maybe just picking and choosing something that maybe won't get him questioned. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that note, though, which do you think it's the... Otateral minds or the lack of access to the Warrens? I'm curious on, on your thoughts on that. Which one do you think is the problem? I would, I want to say that it's the lack of access to Warrens. I felt the same just because it's, I feel like it's, I mean, at least from what we've seen so far, you know, Relic got some sort of side effect from the Otateral dust, but we didn't really know what that was going to be. I mean, them using their warrens, they know what that's like. They know how to work it. And then just suddenly being stripped of that, it, it reminds me of being stilled, right? Or gentled. Again, right. another Wheel of Time reference. But <laughs> just, you know, you suddenly lose access to something that's an integral part of your life. And then I, it's gone. That would drive me crazy. Right. So I, I think that makes sense. Yeah, that's that's where I'm going to with it. That's definitely where I'm going to. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but also there was in in this conversation with Maliker uh, or Malik and Duiker, excuse me. They did talk about how he really couldn't get over there because there weren't any mages and Malik was just like, well, there might be some on the slave ships and Booker. <laughs> so I have a feeling based on that statement, that very small statement that the, um, you know, the, the call, the called victims are essentially going to end up in Hisar or, you know, at the Ota Terrell mines. So it's a good thought. I did not even think of that. So I think that, um, um, Felsen is going to be in Hisar, essentially. And Heberich, and who was the other one to start with a B? Bowden. Bowden, there we go. Or Bowden. Right. So, yeah, I think that they are going to end up at the mine somehow, probably doing some type of, of labor or mining Oteltaral dust, is my guess, which I would say is probably going to lead Paran and the bridge burners into Hisar. Well, well, uh, is this, is this the first time we're going to say it for this book? We'll have to read and find out. That's right. We'll have to read and find out. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've said it yet. Uh, no, I feel like it's a staple in each of our shows, which is fine. That's fine. Um, it's our shtick. That's our shtick. Right. It's like Vince Vaughn in the annoying way he talks. Oh, he's just from Chicago. It's okay. Oh, okay. Then never mind. It's not as bad as Boston or New York, though. Boston. Open the draw. Oh, God. 
man, you know, like Boston and Oklahoma, if those two places fell off the face of the earth, I would not be that sad. <laughs> if anybody lives there, I'm sorry if I offended you, but Oklahoma's a shithole. And Boston, if I never had to hear, hear anybody else speak from there again, it would be too soon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's harsh. Know. It's harsh. I know. Yeah. Now who's I just can't. <laughs> I'm an asshole. That's fine. It's I'm not even being passive aggressive about it. I'm just being aggressive about That's it. That's fair. That's fair. I feel like most people would just know your opinion rather than guessing as to what you're. Doing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, in my defense, have you been to Oklahoma before? Never been. You don't need to. It's a fucking dump. <laughs> Okay. All right. Cool. There's 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 nothing there worth going for. <laughs> because they put peanuts in their coke. I don't know what they do there. It's a if I it, it's probably like the Raraku Desert. It's just a bunch of wasted cities. <laughs> oh, love how you brought that and, back around. And they probably make a lot of meth because there's nothing else to do there. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's my rant on I don't even want to call Oklahoma Midwest the central United States there just not a, there's not enough tornadoes that could hit that place <laughs> well, I mean it was tornado alley so I, I know <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's just hopefully we don't have any Oklahoma listeners <laughs> probably not and uh, if they did uh they would probably Since, by the time they got to our abortion little segment would unfollow us or cancel us. So if you're from Oklahoma, send me an angry tweet. There you go. There you go. Wow. Damn, dude. <laughs> Are you sure you're not like a carrium here? Like are you trying to converge of some kind on Oklahomians? Well, I'm not bored because I'm talking to you about a book that I like talking to you about so <laughs> that's fair okay all right cool well we'll uh move on from your oklahomian tangent <laughs> all right it sounds good it's probably time yeah but yeah I, I guess as far as this section is concerned i um i feel like sprinkled in with some of the the uprising that was happening on the docks and like you know the politicalness um Ralic, Rel, God damn it, Malik, Rel, fuck. Uh, it probably he, won't be the last time that happens. Probably not. Uh, he, I already don't like him based on, he just seems like an arrogant douchebag, you know, and dangerous at that too. Like you get in his way, like who knows what the fuck's going to happen. So I don't really care for him already. And Duiker, I'm kind of curious as to see, like, where he goes. He kind of seems like he's a between-the-fence kind of dude. And maybe just on the wrong side. Kind of maybe on, in a cowardless fashion, so to speak. On the wrong side because he doesn't want to die or be called. I'm, I'm glad you were had the section with his name in there because I wasn't sure how to pronounce it. But I, I like your pronunciation on it. Oh, Duiker? Yeah. I, it was throwing me off. Okay. I don't know if it's a little bit of like dyslexia, but I kept thinking like Dukier. 
Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, I could see where you're coming up with that. Just reading it, my eyes mix that up a little bit, but um, I I like yours. Okay, cool. Um, I guess we you know we discussed Coltane um, and how everybody seemed to have questions about how he's going to one deal with kind of the subliminal political content contempt that is thrown his way as well as uh where his allegiances are um and the fact that nobody who's talking about him likes him outside of Duiker who seems to be rather impressed with the fact that he was able to kind of align you know the hisar guards and and these wiccan these wiccan savages so to speak I, th- I think it's because Coltane, if you think about it, is an orc, and he's got two big fucking axes, like D&D style. He's an orc. Like, I can just imagine him, like, bloodlusting or going berserk and killing everybody. What makes you think he's an orc, just because of that? Like, I don't think he's an orc, but, like, that's, like, the <laughs> vibe I get. Like, he's just, like, I'm thinking, like, D&D or, you know, like, you pick your class or, you know be like a paladin or a mage or an orc. Like, I feel like Coltane's an orc. He's just a warrior. Gotcha. Like, he's just gonna go crazy and kill shit. Okay, fair enough. But, I mean, I don't really have anything else to add to this uh, very info dump of a section, as well as, you know, my first impressions of these characters. All right. Well, we can... I'll... Uh, Take it away here. I managed to t- summarize 10 pages or so into two and a half or so. It was pro- probably the longest the longest section I've had to summarize so far. Um, I guess I don't know how many. This is probably up there for both of us. But yeah, we get uh, some we get some familiar characters so that it was good to feel a little bit back to home with uh, our Gardens of the Moon characters. Absolutely. Well, uh, take her away, sir. All right. As the Skara Isles were left behind, the boat headed south in the Kansu Sea. If the wind held, they would reach the Erleton coast in four hours. Fiddler wasn't happy. Erleton coast. Seven cities. He hated this continent the first time he visited and hates it even more now as he spat stomach bile bile over the side of the boat. Crocus asked if there was, if he was doing any better, and Fiddler wanted to punch his dumb fucking face, but he could see he was genuinely concerned. Kalam laughed and told him that Fiddler and water don't mix. He was greener than the flying monkey. <laughs> Fiddler opened an eye and saw that he had the monkey looking at him, and he told Moby to go away. Though the monkey seemed to have attached himself to Fiddler like a stray dog. Fiddler thought about how they never did things the easy way. He thought about how far they had already come, but how much further they still had to go. He wished that all the seas would dry up. They had feet for walking, after all, not flippers. Even still, where they were going to be crossing by foot was a waterless shithole where people only smiled to let you know they were going to kill you. Lovely. He thought about his friends he left behind for this journey. 
He wished he could be marching with them, but realized he would be marching into a holy war, and those were no fun. At the same time, he thought the squad was all he had known for years, and now he had Kalam for company. Kalam, who calls the lands ahead home, and Kalam, who smiles before he kills. He also wondered what kind of plan Quickben and Kalam had been brewing that he didn't know about yet. Absalar spoke up, saying she saw more flying fish. Kalam said something big from the deep water must be chasing them. Fiddler sat up to look over the side of the boat, and Moby cuddled in his lap. They watched the fish as the big as big as a man's arm leap a hundred yards away from the boat. Fiddler wondered what the fuck was making the fish do this. Kalam said there shouldn't be anything in the Kansu Sea that would make them behave this way. But in Seekers Deep, there were Denrabi. Great, says Fiddler. Just fucking great. Crocus asks what that is. It's like an 80 pace, or we'll say roughly 200 feet, or to put it in terms that I will understand, and maybe others will, 200 feet is the length of a hockey rink. So a 200-foot centipede, yep, that's a nightmare fuel. They'll wrap up a whale or a boat, and then they blow all the air out of their armored skin and sink to the bottom of the sea with their prey. But don't worry, they're really rare, and they're never seen in shallow water. Well, Crocus says he sees one now. This was one big asshole. Fiddler says 80 paces if it was cut in half. Klom tells Crocus to ready the sails. They're running for it and going west. Fiddler got his crossbow, crossbow ready. He had a snack for it if it decided they looked like an appetizing treat. Absalar looked like a ghost as pale as she was. Fiddler told her he had a surprise for it. Absalar said she remembered as she spoke. The monster saw them and headed right towards them. As it drew near, Kalam said it was no ordinary monster and that it was soul taken. Crocus didn't know what that was, and they told him it was a shapeshifter. A voice filled all of their heads and told them that for witnessing its passage, they all must die. Lovely, again. But it told them not to worry too much because it would be honorable and not defile their bodies by eating them. It's so very nice. Fiddler said that that was kind as he loaded a crossbow bolt with a grapefruit-sized ball of clay at the end of it. Kalam told the soul taken that they cared nothing for its passage and to be on its way. It only replied that it would be merciful when killing them. Fiddler said it had been warned as he aimed the crossbow and blew its fucking head off. Things settled down. Moby climbed back onto Fiddler's lap. He asked Kalam what the hell that was about. Why was there a soul taken in the Kansu Sea? And why was it going in the same direction as them? Kalam didn't know. Fiddler says Quick Ben would. Replying, Kalam says, but he's not here, so it's a mystery we'll have to deal with, and hopefully we don't run into any more. Soon they found the Erleton coast, and Absalar thought she could see horse riders. Kalam counted six, and the second rider had an imperial pennon. A messenger and a lance guard headed for Erleton. Crocus asked if something was wrong. Kalam thought he was sharp, but told him that it was hard to stay. They knew they had been spotted, but what 
had they actually seen just some fisher folk, a family heading into the city for a taste of civilization. Kalam said there's a village not far away. Crocus needs to keep an eye out for the mouth of a creek. The houses will be just inland. He asks Fiddler how his memory is. Fiddler says his memory is good enough for a native, which is what Kalam is. Fiddler wanted to know how far out from the city they were on foot. Kalam told him only 10 hours. The plan was to sail into the Holy City's harbor anonymously. It was likely that whatever mess information the messenger was delivering didn't pertain to them at all. They had been extremely careful in not giving anything away on their journey. Worst case scenario was that two possible deserters, a Jenabakan woman and a Jenabakan woman, had arrived on Malazan land. Hardly earth-shattering news. Crocus spotted the mouth of the stream. They took the boat to the shore, and Absalar gave Fiddler a smile, which seemed to catch him off guard. He tried to remember she was another woman once, but she was a killer and the knife of a god, and she's with Crocus now. Damn, that boy has all the luck. He thought he'd been at sea for far too long. He thought 10 hours on foot, and then he'd be at Earleton. He'd have a bath and a shave and then a Kansuan girl, and then the rest of the night to relax. Crocus asked if he was excited. Fiddler said he didn't even know the half of it. Crocus asked Fiddler if he was here during the conquest when Fiddler fought for the other side, the seven holy Faladon and the Talanimus march for the emperor. Fiddler cut him off. He didn't want to be reminded. He said all wars were terrible, but that one was uglier than most. Crocus kept on asking if he was in the company that chased Quickben across the Holy Desert Raraku, and Kalam was the guide. But he and Quickben were planning on betraying you, except Whiskey Jack had that all figured out already, right? Fiddler shot a look to Kalam and says, One night with the jug of rum, and the boy knows more than any historian alive. He told Crocus to forget whatever he had heard. The past is already on their trail, and there's no point in making it any easier. Crocus presses more and says, if the seven cities are so dangerous, why didn't they just head straight down to Quan Tali and find Absalar's father? Why are they sneaking around on the wrong continent? Kalam irritatedly tells him that it isn't that simple. Crocus wants to know why. He thought that's what the purpose of the whole journey was anyways. He held Absalar's hand and said that he heard them say they owed it to her. But he thought now they only used it as an excuse to come back to the empire they were outlawed from. Crocus says they have a right to know. They're putting them in harm's way, and they don't even know the danger. And that isn't right. Kalam tells Fiddler to give him a list. Fiddler says the Empress wants Darugistan. Does Crocus agree? Crocus shook his head in agreement. Fiddler says what the Empress wants, she usually gets. She tried to take a city once, and it cost her Adjuct Lorn, two Imperial Demons, High Fist Dujek's Loyalty, and the Bridge Burners. A pretty hefty price tag. Crocus speaks up and wants to know, what does that have to do with them? Fiddler tells him not to interrupt him. Daruj Stan got away once, but it won't next time, if there is a next time. Crocus says, why wouldn't there 
BMX time if she gets what she wants. Fiddler asks if he's loyal to his city, if he would do anything to protect it. Fiddler looked at Crocus and said it was time. He was going after her. Crocus was confused and didn't understand. Absalar dumbed it down for him and said he was going to try and kill her. Crocus thinks this is insane, batshit crazy, and suicidal even. Did he expect their help? Absalar said she remembers. Remember that Kalam was a Faladan dagger and the claw gave him command of a hand. Klam is a master assassin and Quickben is interrupted by Crocus shouting that Quickben is 3,000 leagues away. Fiddler says distance is irrelevant. Quickben is their shaved knuckle in the hole. What? Crocus doesn't know what the fuck that even means. Don't worry, it's a gambling reference. But basically, Quickben can be there in an instant. So that's the plan. Kalam is going to try and kill the Empress, but it takes a lot of planning, and that planning starts here. If you want Darugistan, free forever, it starts here. Crocus still doesn't understand. Why seven cities? Wasn't the Empress in Quan Tali? Yes, but seven cities is about to rebel. Fiddler looked back to the shore and thought that's what he hated most about this plan. Chasing one of Quickben's crazy-ass ideas while the countryside burns. As the boat came to shore, Fiddler stepped onto dry land and thought, now it has begun. Bam. Yeah. Great uh, work, dude. That was a good summary. That was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. As much fun as I had writing it, it was a lot of fun to read it, too. That's good. That's good. Yeah, I... Uh... I would agree with you. I really, it was, it was nice to kind of get back to characters that we're, we're familiar with, but I thought it was cool how we get even more perspective from Fiddler because in gardens of the moon, he's kind of a secondary character, but in this section, he's definitely the focus. You know, you get his inner thoughts, you get his experience, like everything about this is told through his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was neat getting his perspective. I don't think this, uh, you know, this part of the chapter maybe would have had as much weight if it, if it came from like Crocus or Absalar. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like this section is, is definitely information heavy, but it's more familiar information, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. I, I think so. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff. I, I kind of felt like, you know, going after the Empress was going to happen sometime in Gardens of the Moon, and it never did. Or or not to the extent that they're talking about here anyways. You right. know, that they're going to try to fucking assassinate her. Um, so to get that, I, I don't know if payoff is the right word, but to get that plot point early. Right, right, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that's going to be a probably a pretty heavy driving factor the rest of the book. Well, and and it gives us some clarity, uh, you know, remember in the epilogue where in Gardens of the Moon, where Quick Ben is like, Whiskey Jack's not going to like, like this, but it kind of seems like the goal is definitely to help the seven cities rebel and then eventually get to, you know, Lacine. So whether that happens in this book or five books from now, I, I have no idea, but that's kind of where... 
I feel like the setup is is starting to take place here, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I, I think so a lot. Uh, yeah, and even, you know, I mean, like I said, this was like this section alone was like a quarter of the fucking chapter. Right, uh, right. And so I summarized it as best I could. And, but man, I, you know, again, just the descriptions, the writing is just so good. Like, I can't compare to it, but it was, this one was a lot of fun. I, I, you know, this part of the book, just this chapter was a lot of fun. Just because you kind of, I mean, there was so much to it. You had some action, you had some, some dialogue, but it wasn't just a, a giant battle where everybody's killing everybody. It was focused. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's, I like how in, I think three out of four chapters, there's there's new creatures that are being introduced. Uh, not so much in uh, in m- the last section with uh, Duiker and 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 Malakarel, but there's there's just there's more kind of this world building starting to kind of peek through, but. As well as like you know, he, there's definitely set up for s- something. Like this whole chapter is is set up in for different people uh, at the very beginning of things, and um, I'm really looking forward to to reading on. But yeah. I think, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I don't remember Fiddler joining them at the end of Gardens of the Moon. I thought it was just going to be no, you, no, he was okay. Never mind. Yeah, he was. I was on the boat. Right. Yep. Um, but I, boats I, and hose. Boats and hose. But Moby, I did not expect Moby to be along. <laughs> I don't know why he was there, but it was just fun because he's like a little fucking lap dog. Like I'm just, I'm gonna call on your lap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like a a a cat that won't leave your lap. But yeah, but I, I mean, I, I, I understand. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like this was Mammoth's pet. So why wouldn't Crocus bring him? Yeah, you're right. So, I mean, it, 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 I guess kind of makes me again, feel bad for Mammoth's demise, so to speak. Uh, he kind of goes along the, the story of, of sadness, right? For Crocus. But it kind of also yeah. seems like there's some happiness here too. Like it seems from Fiddler's perspective that, you know, he's kind of I and Absalar a little bit, you know, kind of lustfully, but then has to rein himself in. Which is a little, it's kind of gross, right? I mean, cause we yeah. know Absalar like a kid. Right. I mean, I mean, I mean, she's, I don't think she's an adult in the sense that she's like 18, you know, and like, it even sounds gross just saying like legal in that terms. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I get the sense she's, you know, like 16, 17, something like that, you know? Right. Yeah. But I mean, I guess we kind of called it, you know, I, I, I kind of had some suspicions towards the end of gardens of the moon. If they were, if they were going to like, you know, be a couple so to speak. And I guess that's not really like explicitly said here, but it kind of sounds like they're together. He definitely cares about her. Yeah. But, uh, 
switching gears a little bit. I want you, I would love to see your drawing of a uh, what the hell was it Dan called? Robbie. Dan Robbie. Yeah. Yep. I I all I can the only thing I can picture in my mind is a fucking two hundred foot silverfish thing that you find on the wall in your basement that's got ten million legs. And you just want to burn your house down after you see it. Right, and yeah. I just get goosebumps thinking about it because they just gross me out. And just, if I will get instant goosebumps if I see one. And it takes about everything I have to not just yell at it like a little bitch. And I find a shoe or something and about put a hole in the wall. There are... Uh... I just did an image search for Den Robbie, and uh, there's not there's not a lot. They just look like water centipedes, but I think that I could. Uh, you should send one in the, our little chat here. I want I want to see it, or if it's easier, just to text it or whatever. No, I'd yeah. be curious to see it, but I bet I would love to see your take on it. Yeah, I definitely think that I could probably fuck this up a little bit more, but. I just thought, because <laughs> yeah, that's what I do. Like, you're going to make it worse? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. we're going down that road then. Yeah. I mean, I think this is my problem with, like, mainstream horror movies, is that uh, it, they're just not fucked up enough, you know? Oh, man. Speaking of, like, horror shit, I, before... Uh, we started recording tonight. Kelly, my wife and I, we were watching the new season of American Horror Story. We started that. And yeah. in one of the commercials, they had, God, what was it? I don't know if it was a movie or a series, but I can't even remember what it's called. But it seemed to be focused around social media to some extent. And, like, you see this thing and, it like, I don't know if it makes you kill other people or what. But, like, the thing was creepy looking. I don't want to say it was a clown mask, but it was it was pretty fucked up looking. Oh, I want to say cut or something. I like fucked up shit, but yeah, I mean, I can uh, I can take an attempt at a Den Robbie here. I just image searched it as well on my end. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I I would. Yep. Just nuke the planet, man. Fuck it. That's <laughs> about all there is to it. And I mean. Fiddler just essentially just destroys us in one false swoop. So I guess it just goes to show that this this bolt with what I'm assuming is just a cannon filled with fucking explosives in it, you know? Yeah, it seems like it's got a bunch of gunpowder in it or something along those lines. Yeah. But uh, did you catch how they were like, what was he doing out here and why was he so protective of being seen do you have any speculation as to what that was yeah it was probably heading towards the same place as uh relanderous exactly you know it was just crossing it just you know whoever this thing was just had a seat across first but right i I think it all relates back to the convergence right exactly that's exactly where i was gonna go but we're gonna get a big gathering of these types Right. So I think it's cool that like already in the first chapter, you know, we, we already understand a little bit more than the character, 
you know so it's kind of cool to have a little bit of that that perspective um but also what i thought was cool is to me the gardens of the moon map and now the map at the beginning of dead house gates is starting to make sense so from what i understand is the the map that is in dead house gates is like southwest of the you know jenna Bakken campaign and ikito khan is south of uh of the map in dead house gates the seven cities so i just need a fucking globe give me a globe with all this shit laid out on it for the whole series just have the land on it i don't need to know anything else but i just want to see a globe with all this shit on it that would actually be really cool a malazan globe have you seen some on i'll have to see if i can find it on twitter but somebody's done one for like wheel of time they've like uh, made it into a globe kind of yeah I'll, okay. I'll have to do some digging and i there might even be one that's kind of uh for real or uh game of thrones also oh okay but yeah i just thought it was cool because you know i mean again with gardens of the moon you you don't really you have an understanding based on the map but again you know malaz city and mouse quarter uh you know, Ikito Khan, that was one of those things that I remember reading when it going through that book. I'm like, I don't see any of these on the map. But at the end, it's revealed that, you know, pretty much con- like continents away. And now it just makes the scope of this environment so much more like vast. And I'm just, I'm super digging it. I'm like nerding out about it. Yeah. Well, this, the map we have here for, this book is, I mean, that's, I feel like it's a, a much bigger scope than Gardens of Moon. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But it just, it you know, going back to my point of just the whole map tangent is that the, uh, the city Irlatan, uh, from what I understand based on the map, is just north of the, uh, the, uh, the Pan Potsen Odin. So, which we know that's where Icarium and, and Mappo are, and they're in this basin, this desert basin, this ancient holy desert, uh, where convergence of Divers and Soul Taken are headed. You know, we've got Fiddler, Kalam, Crocus, and Absalar all traveling south to this city that Mappo and Icarium were potentially like recognized in and we've got this uh then robbie also making his way there so again it's just kind of bringing everybody kind of into the same same type of area you know yeah so it makes me wonder like chapter two are we gonna are we gonna meet new faces again or are we gonna have you know, the players that we've seen already, or is it going to be some of both? I think it's going to be a mixture. I think it's going to be a mixture of continuing on with the characters we met in, you know, chapter one, uh, our reoccurring characters, probably even more of our reoccurring characters. I would imagine Paran and the bridge burners and whiskey Jack are probably going to come up hopefully soon or, you know, somewhere in this book, I would hope. 
or again, maybe it's just maybe it's just these events unfolding, and we it's possible that Whiskey Jack and Paran may not come up until you know Memories of Ice. I I have no idea. You know, I could totally see that happening too. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got a little bit of faith that I, not a little bit of faith, a lot of faith that things will play out as they need to, but. You know, you read a book like Gardens of the Moon and you get attached to these characters. And then if you go a whole book without seeing them, I mean, that that kind of sucks. It, it's, I know you haven't read A Song of Ice and Fire, but um, in the fourth book, A Feast for Crows, you get the story for half the characters. You get the whole story for half the characters. Oh. And then a dance of... A dance or uh, God, what the fuck is the fifth book called? I thought it uh, was. I can't even remember. A Feast for Crows is the fifth one, or fourth one. Sorry, God damn it. Whatever the fifth one is, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, you get the other half of the characters, their full story. So between those two books, they occupy the same time, but you're just oh. seeing two different halves. Oh, okay. And, uh, the, you know, this... Is it going to be something similar? I mean, maybe. Uh, I guess I just, I'm just too curious. I'm, I mean, we know Whiskey Jack's not dead from Gardens of the Moon. And just taking in consideration the scope of these books, like, uh, I guess I'm not too worried if I don't see him in this, in this uh, book, because I know that these, they, they basically take, place shortly thereafter is what i'm assuming after each other you know right a dance of dragons i think that's the fifth one i don't know why i could not think of that right now well i mean you had it right you were starting to say a dance and then you just you just gave up (laughs) Uh, probably having a seizure (laughs) but uh i guess i mean things all intertwine as they they need to but yeah just going back to you know, I I grew really attached to basically all the characters. Even even the character I probably liked the least in that book was probably Lacine. But now we're not going to have Lacine, and we may not even have all the same characters. We're going to get probably a slew of new characters. I just I hope I don't want to I guess be overwhelmed. With and trying to keep everything straight, yeah. Who's who's who? Who's with who? That type of thing. That's. I mean, that's fair, and I feel like that might be a struggle for current readers. But I feel like the way that we have to present this material is going to allow us to hone in on on that, and I think we'll probably have probably the same level of understanding as someone maybe rereading it because of the way that we're doing it maybe not quite as much as someone who's rereading it but you know i mean we're essentially picking out things that we know nothing about but at the same time we're going and going into it with a fine-tooth comb so i i mean i guess i'm not worried about it but i mean again the beauty of this podcast is that uh you know we get to play off each other and, and even if there's a connection that i'm not making that you've totally picked up on then odds are likely that that will kind of fill in those gaps and vice versa. 
But also, if there's something that we both don't understand, I've come to kind of learn through this experience, and especially reading Gardens of the Moon, that uh, that may or less point to the direction of things are yet to come, if that makes any sense. Yeah, this it is a fun experience going through this with you, and it's it's kind of one of those things now where like I don't want to read another book like without doing it with you. Exactly. We've only got nine and 23 chapters to go. <laughs> Eight. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. Eight and 20. <laughs> It's 10 o'clock at night. I'm tired. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, we're doing this on like a Saturday afternoon. Right. Not, Not necessarily on Thursday night. Right. But um, I guess to maybe bring... Uh, some information closer to wrapping up. What did you, how did you feel about, you know, uh, Crocus and the whole, now he's a historian because of some drunk dude uh, kind of giving away a little bit of Fiddler and Kalam's and even Quick Ben's history. I mean, the read that's not revealed to us, the reader, but Crocus definitely has a, bigger picture of these three characters what what is your interpretation of that well who the who the hell was he listening to who is telling him all this stuff is kind of you know where my mind goes who knows all this stuff and who's telling him because i kind of feel like maybe fiddler and clown probably don't want that info getting out which is kind of why they're like hey just fucking forget it right right um so i i don't know other than Who's, who's got this info is the big thing I'm coming away from. with. I mean, I feel like it was a, well, cause I mean, you know, the seven cities, uh, Fiddler and Kalam, I mean, this is their, this is their hometown, right? So it's either one of two scenarios. Uh, they were at some, they were at some, uh, like, uh, what the fuck are those called? Bars really an inn or some type of something on their way to their current destination. And uh, it's either, it's either Fiddler and Kalam got too drunk and started spilling the beans or somebody who knew of them uh, was telling Crocus all of their adventures without them knowing, you know what I mean? Like Crocus was sitting at, at, at a bar and talking to a drunk about, fiddler and kalam and and just kind of seeing what this unknown drunk person knows you know but doesn't that seem suspicious to you why does this random person know this information about kalam and fiddler and quick ben i think that they're just they're really tied to the history right which now that i'm thinking about it kind of ties back to uh the epigraph for the sub book think about it swimming in in memories so all that tells me is they have some ties to it right exactly but i'm 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 definitely curious to find out more about some of their adventures because like we know that quick ben used from what i understand a priest of shadow throne of some kind so i'm wondering if it kind of sounds like whatever shadow thrones play was clearly still against the malazan empire kalam and fiddler were chasing him through this desert for god knows what you know what i mean 
and how they came to be on each other's sides, uh, I guess that's still kind of a mystery. But it's kind of nice how some of these layers are starting to kind of like smudge off a little bit as to like these characters' histories. So I just, I want more. <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll get more. Uh, man, and you like Quick Ben? Just, I mean, we knew he was a badass in the last book, but you know, now he could be anywhere in an instant. Like, he's like a total badass. Not well, right. right. Well, I mean, he can operate seven Warrens, so he's got to be, right. you know, pretty accessible. And if he's 3,000 leagues away, and it doesn't, it's like a non-issue. Like he could just be there in a snap of a finger. Like, okay, who else can do that? Right, right, exactly. But um, and if you're curious, three thousand leagues is <laughs> ten thousand three hundred and fifty-seven miles. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay, so let's just. Uh, that's like uh, back and forth. For, United. That's like Forrest Gump running from coast to coast four times. So we'll, we'll just say what's 10,000 miles away from Minneapolis. There we go. Just for a reference. I'm going to say the Middle East. I'm trying to Google this and I don't know how well it's going to work. <laughs> okay, well. Minneapolis is located 3,110 miles south of the North Pole. Jesus. <laughs> yeah. That puts it into perspective. There I you mean, go. Exactly. How, how many miles from the North Pole to the, the, uh, the equator? Airline, it is a little over... It's about 6,300 miles. So... Basically, it's like 80% of the, you know, Earth. Yeah, it's like going basically from the North Pole to most of the way to the South Pole. Right, almost to Antarctica. That's how far they've traveled. So that makes sense. Like, they basically have been traveling this entire year. So I would assume that Crocus has, again, he seems very curious in this particular section being that this is the first he's shown up in this book so i can only imagine that you know he these are these are still newer people to him it's not like the krupp and the Marilio and the relics you know he's not familiar with these guys so of course you're going to ask questions right like especially as you get nearer to where they grew up right or their stomping grounds so to speak i mean he seems to have a like a curious tendency, which I think is what what is happening here. And Fiddler and more so Fiddler and Kalam are a little bit annoyed at all of his damn questions. You know, yeah, it's like a kid who won't shut up when you're in a car ride. You know, thirteen hours away. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Right. Yeah. Exactly. So, but. I also really enjoy how Fiddler put it to Crocus with the whole, hey, we get that we're not really here to do what we said we were here to do. But at the end of the day, like he, he really puts it into perspective for Crocus. And I thought that was just, it was very well done. It was beautiful. Like I can, I can imagine myself as Crocus and, and like totally like, oh yeah, that makes so much logical sense. 
yeah, I, I, I liked the plan, and like I said, I, I thought that was something we were going to get in Gardens of the Moon, and it just didn't play out, but obviously, like, that would have been a, a pretty big thing to introduce in that book, and that book would have been probably quite a bit more massive than it already was if you're going to incorporate that. Right, yeah. And, I mean, it's kind of a big cliffhanger to leave at the very end of the book, you know. Uh, so, I think I think it was good the way that he did it. I, it, it feels right. I'm, I'm not... I don't feel so jarred between these two books. So, I was on ex- honestly expecting to be... I thought it was going to be way more different, you know. I didn't really know what to expect, but it's... I mean, so far, it, I don't feel like it's out of place at all. And, and obviously, who would no. I be to say anyways? I didn't write this book. But it <laughs> it's, uh, it seems like a logical progression, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I really love the way that he made Crocus kind of understand, you know. And from what we know, Crocus is a teenager. So he's questioning everything, right? Like. He was told one thing. He's expecting this, right? He obviously cares for Absalar. So all he wants to do is see see that come to fruition. And now he's just kind of maybe not upset, but annoyed that they're veering off into a different route. And Fiddler just so very nicely brings it back home. Right. I mean, honestly, those those everything that we talked about uh, with the section is I, I can't think of anything else to really talk about. Uh, I feel like there was, there was just so much. So I guess the only other thing I would add is, and it feels so weird to like, talk about this. Like you must think I'm on drugs. I don't know. Cause like, I've never felt this way, like reading a book, but the, the, the section two that I covered, you know, I got all these like orange colors as far as like what I felt and saw. And, and this one, I mean, with an ocean and a sea, you know, it was just vibrant blues and, you know, light colors. And it, it, it seemed like such a stark contrast, you know, and it's, it's not like black against white, but just going from that, like, faded, like, rust-feeling dark orange to a, a vibrant blue, uh, I liked that a lot. Well, do you think that that kind of pertains to the situations that these characters are in? Because, like that—that's—that's a—that's a beautiful point. Like that was, damn, I didn't even fucking see that coming. Like that was great. I—I <laughs> I mean, an ocean and a desert are—I mean, I—I I feel like they're two completely opposite things, and they're also the very much the same thing. I mean. If you flood a bunch of water into a desert, you've got an ocean. And if you take all the water out of an ocean, you've got a desert. Right. Uh, right. Which kind of goes back to the epigraph a bit, right? Yeah. But I don't know. Just, again, looking at this book cover and just how, you know, the, the colors on it, it it felt a little surprising to get. And, and again, like, feeling a color is not something that I, like, do but reading that section, it was very much something I felt. Yeah, no, that's great. I like that. 
I feel like there's some symbolism to it, but I can't I can't quite put my my finger on it. <laughs> I'm not smart enough to, so I won't I won't. I'll just point uh, I'll, I'll point that out, and that's about as far as I'll go. Don't be an Anamander Rake. Give yourself some credit. I am an Anamander Rake. I'm there seven, you go. I'm You're seven up. feet tall. I do not have black skin. I do have blonde hair. <laughs> Yeah, that would be that would be bad. Um, I also don't have I also don't have a six foot sword that holds people right. inside of it. <laughs> but I, I, man, you know what? I don't even know if I would want that. Like, if I killed somebody, why would I want to drag them around with me? Maybe that's just a, another curse. Maybe that's uh, going along the lines of of a map or a. You know, Icarum situation. I don't know. I'm just thinking you about know. that. Like, if I killed somebody, I want them to. I fucking want you to be gone. I don't want. <laughs> I don't want to have your soul in my sword. Get away from me. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> that's fair. Random. Uh, yeah. No, that's good. I like these tangents. But yeah, I, I guess I know I don't have anything else to say about this chapter outside of it was really good, and I'm. Very excited to be able to read chapter two. I will probably not read this chapter tonight since it's ten thirty. But uh, hopefully, at, I'll I'll probably read a chunk of it Saturday morning when I go to donate plasma. But we've got uh, hockey games to go to Friday and Saturday night, so that's what I'll be doing with my weekend. Gotcha. So that's we'll fair. have to find out when we record with Mora. Yep, and I mean the cool thing is is we'll we'll get to. Uh, We'll get to, you know, just not necessarily discuss Gardens of the Moon, but we'll get to discuss Gardens of the Moon and some of the things that we learned in this chapter. And even the second one, if we can read it before Saturday, which I'm based on what you just said, probably not. So yeah, much. I'll, I might get so. through a chunk, but I don't know that I'll get through the whole thing. But that that is exciting for us. It will be uh, our first time as a guest on somebody else's show. As a so guest. that'll be That'll be cool. Smiley. Yes, Smiley's, Smiley's podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it'll be fun to uh, reconnect with Mora, and uh, I think her partner's name is Lee that she is co-hosting with. Um, from what I understand from, yeah, from what I understand about Mora, he is, uh, they are currently through reading Dragon Reborn. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it it'll be kind of cool because I'm sure some of the conversations may may end up that in that route, which is totally cool. But yeah, I guess I guess yeah, I think it's uh, time to not Minnesota goodbye. <laughs> well, we'll call it good, we'll call it good here then, buddy, and uh, we'll we'll talk here in uh, basically a day and a half. Yeah, sounds good, man. All right, well, you have a good night, sir. All right, take care, dude. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.